probably a month or so ago, <clears throat> I had the privilege in a Bible study context of teaching through Psalm 34. Uh, I've made some minor changes, and uh, it being Thanksgiving weekend, I thought it appropriate to preach through a Thanksgiving psalm. The title is The Song of the Saved. Um, the big idea, those who are rescued by God practice Thanksgiving. I, I mean, all of us would agree that Thanksgiving is, or gratitude is, the appropriate response to rescue. If you've been saved, what should you do? Give thanks to the Savior. Um, I've shared this story recently with our youth, uh, and then if you were in that Bible study, you probably heard this as well. So I have a cousin uh, through marriage who has been a firefighter for 11 years and is now in Arkansas. He started uh, firefighting in Shreveport, Louisiana. And he's also an EMT worker. One night when he was driving through a busy part of Shreveport, he happened, and I think God's providence, to be the first person on the scene. A pedestrian was struck by a car crossing a busy highway. And he, again, he's trained. He's not on duty, but he's trained. And so he pulls over, he rushes to the scene, and the young man is uh, missing his left leg, I believe, from the knee down. It's a pretty significant injury, obviously. He knows what to do. He doesn't panic. He makes a tourniquet, calms the guy down, uh, help arrives, ambulance arrives, and the young man is saved. What's cool about this story is, I don't if I remember correctly, he was headed to med school. I don't think he started yet, but he was, again, saved, able to go on to med school. How, how do you think he responded to Stuart, my cousin? Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it. No, <laughs> he would have died. Stuart saved him. The gratitude that he showed to the firefighter, my cousin continued. It was ongoing. He thanked him again and again and again. He reached out to him to let him know, listen, I would have died. I now get to go on to med school. My life continues. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for rescuing me. What is the appropriate response to rescue? It's Thanksgiving. Now, there is a correlation. The greater the rescue, the more intense and the longer the duration of the Thanksgiving. Let me say that again. The greater the rescue, I think all of us would agree with this, the greater the rescue, the more intense and the longer the duration of the Thanksgiving. For example, you know, I almost walk into the girl's restroom, not paying attention, and someone grabs and says, hey, that's the girl's bathroom. Oh, thank you. That would have been embarrassing. I'm not going to call him later. I'm not going to give him $100. I'm just going to say, hey, thanks. I appreciate it. If a fireman rescues me out of a burning building, I'm probably going to give him a hug. I may wash his car for the next year. I don't know. It's going to be more than just a casual, hey, thank you. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know, I know, we know that we have been saved from eternal damnation, eternal wrath, eternal separation. Our rescue is infinite in scope. Therefore, our thanksgiving will be infinite. It will be eternal. Amen? We have been rescued to give thanks. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've trusted in Jesus and what he did through his perfect life, death, and resurrection, you and I have an eternity ahead of us to praise and thank the Lord. Our thanksgiving is lifelong, but more than that, it is eternal. 
Now, what type of psalm is this? This is a Thanksgiving psalm. What does that mean? Let me just give you a few things here. A Thanksgiving psalm is a prayer or a song, a prayer that you would pray or a song that you would sing after you've been delivered by God from a particular hardship. It's a psalm of gratitude to God for his saving intervention. It was typically sung or prayed after God had answered prayer. And typically, if you look at the Thanksgiving psalms in the Psalter, they focus on God's character as the reason for Thanksgiving, his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his salvation. This psalm, Psalm 34, is for the saved. The rescued are those who are truly thankful. The background here is 1 Samuel 21. Uh, David was in a pickle. He was in trouble. God rescued him. And what does David do? What is the appropriate response? If you've been rescued by God, you give him him thanks. He thanks God. So how should the rescued respond? Again, if you've trusted in Jesus for salvation, if you've turned from sin in rebellion against God, then you've been saved. Amen? You've been rescued. How should the rescued respond? What we're going to see in Psalm 34 is what thanksgiving looks like in practice. There's five things here. Five evidences of gratitude. Let's call this gospel gratitude. Here are the five things. Number one. So again, five ways to practice gratitude. Who's thankful? Who desires to show it? Not just casually, but ongoingly, intentionally. Is God worthy? Yes. Again, what's the correlation? The greater the rescue, the what? The greater the praise, the greater the thanks. The longer the duration of thanksgiving, the more intense the thanksgiving. Point number one is this. Again, these are the ways that we practice gratitude according to Psalm 34. Number one, the rescued praise and proclaim the Lord. The rescued. Again, those who are rescued are thankful. And the thankful, those who are thankful, show gratitude. And here's one way. The rescued praise and proclaim the Lord. Verses 1 to 7. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. And delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. And their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. So again, we give thanks to God for his rescue. How often should we do this? Verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. An infinite God deserves eternal praise, eternal thanksgiving. Amen? An infinite God deserves eternal praise. Now, what does this look like? What we're going to see in Psalm 34 is that this involves personal praise or thanksgiving, corporate praise or thanksgiving, and obedience to the Lord. So, are you regularly praying? And in your prayers, are you regularly giving thanks? I think for many Christians, if 
if we listened, if you would allow us to stand outside your door, or if you have a place where you pray outside, and we listened, if we were going to be honest, I bet most of us pray prayers of what? Supplication. Lord, give me this. Lord, do this. And I think what's probably lacking in most of our prayers is thanksgiving and gratitude. So are you regularly praying? And in your prayers, are you regularly giving thanks to God? Are you regularly gathering with the church to give thanks to God? And are you praising God with your life, namely a life of obedience? A few subpoints here. First, we are to regularly remember God's rescue. David gets specific in his praise. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. It's verse 4. Verse 6, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Praise God for specific times when he has provided rescue in your life, when he's worked in your life. Maybe he's delivered you from addiction or depression or deep hurt. Why do we gather on Sundays? What are we doing? We are thanking God. We are praising God for his most significant work of rescue, which is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Amen? Through which and by which sinners like us can be reconciled to a holy God. That is at the heart of why we gather every Lord's Day. Again, we are celebrating his rescuing work on our behalf. We are remembering together. And we're commanded to do this regularly. This further, if we look at David, this further involves testimony telling. Now what does that mean? Who's ever shared their testimony? We have to be careful here. We should do that, yes. Paul does it. David does it often. But when we do that, when we share our story, we have to make sure that we share how his story, Jesus' story, intersects with our story. We don't want to leave somebody with our story. Our story doesn't have the power to save. It's his story. Amen? We want the world to hear his story and how his story has changed our story. Third thing, we must acknowledge God's grace. And David does a great job of that. David does not take credit for his deliverance. He gives God the glory. Listen, verse 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. And he, God, delivered me from all my fears. David acknowledges God as the subject of his saving. The Lord has done it. Number two. The rescued are satisfied in the Lord. That's verses 8 to 10. So, verses 1 to 7, now verses 8 to 10, number 2, the rescued are satisfied in the Lord. Verses 8 to 10, one more time. Oh, this is so good. Oh, <laughs> oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And the church said, amen. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. All right, so verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And again, the church said, Amen. Amen. He is good. He is good. Have you done this? When was the last time you did this? Are you satisfied in him? 
maybe the better question is, how do we taste the Lord? How do we do that? Where do we go to taste the Lord? If you've been saved, then you're thankful. And if you're thankful, you are completely given over to tasting the Lord. It is just a regular part of your life. It's how we show gratitude. We continue to take him in. Amen? How do we do it? Where do we go? Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. All right, so... We taste him through regular exposure to his word and by taking Jesus into our lives by faith. We continue to savor the Lord by reading his his word. We must be sure to do this on our own and with others. Uh, Derek Kidner, again, he's a great commentator on the Psalms and Proverbs. He says, the New Testament writers urge that the tasting we're talking about here should be more than just a casual sampling. Listen, we just got done with Thanksgiving. And maybe if you're like me, you're not done. There's leftovers to be had. It's just, I don't know, leftovers just get better over time. I grossed out my college roommates because my mom's stuffing has literally made me a better man. There's something magical about it. And I would take home a big container to college, and I would eat on it for like two weeks. I know, and I just, I loved it. I never got sick, so she did something to it, but here's the point I want to make. Is that how we feast, just casual sampling? Did any of us, you know, on Thanksgiving just kind of just pick little pieces off the big entree plates, and I'll take a little, no, come on now, that's a, what is that? What do we do? We dig in. Man, I mean, I want a bigger spoon so I can get bigger helpings. I'm hungry, Right? We don't eat that way physically. How dare we eat that way spiritually? We take the Lord in. We commune with him. We feast on his word. Not just a casual sampling, but a substantial meal. And it can be had daily, ongoingly. I think I made that word up today, ongoingly. Will somebody look that up for me? Not now, later. As we see with the next line, verse 8, Those who taste and see that the Lord is good are those who take refuge in him. Meaning, in him, in the Lord, they have found their security, their satisfaction, their meaning. The the deep longing of the soul, it's found, it's met in the Lord. Have you anchored your life to the Lord? David doesn't stop there, verses 9 and 10. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. And you've got to love the oh. Passionate, it's emotional. Oh, taste and see. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. Those who fear the Lord, those who take refuge in the Lord, lack nothing. What does that mean? Do you remember Psalm 23, verse 1? The Lord is my shepherd. Hach seir. I lack nothing. If I have the Lord, I have all that I need. I'm satisfied. Take everything else, but if I have Him, I have all that I need. Is that you? Those who have no lack are those who fear the Lord and seek Him. What does it mean to fear the Lord? 
To fear the Lord is to have a right view of God as both creator and savior and a right view of us as creation. We're the ones in need of saving. To fear the Lord is to be in awe of him. It's that sense of awe and wonder in response to the unmatched power, majesty, and beauty of God revealed in Jesus Christ. Again, those who know the Lord's salvation are those who have tasted his goodness, continue to taste his goodness, and are forever satisfied in him. These are the truly thankful ones. We demonstrate, we demonstrate our gratitude to the Lord for his saving work in our lives by continuing to go to him for satisfaction, by continuing to commune with him regularly in his word. Again, this is such an important point. Is this you? Can you say, yes, this is me. I'm completely satisfied in the Lord. Do you long to commune with the Lord and Savior? Number three, the rescued teach others. That's verses 11 to 14. The rescued teach others. Verses 11 to 14, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What is man, or what man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Having been rescued by God, David has aligned himself with the Almighty. And now he instructs others in the way they should go. And this should mark the church today. That's Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This was the norm in the early church, namely God's people teaching one another the word. And what is the content of David's teaching? What is he teaching others? Verse 11, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What is the beginning of wisdom? It's the fear of the Lord. So what is meant in verse 11 when David says, I will teach you the fear of the Lord? Parents, maybe you've said that to your children in a heated moment. I'm going to teach you the fear of the Lord. I don't think that's what David means here. How do we instill this in others? How do we do that? <clears throat> I would argue that this involves helping others to submit to the word of God and not just that, but to treasure Christ supremely and to get rid of idols. So three things here. Three things here. Submission, awe, and idol smashing. If you're going to teach others the fear of the Lord, teach them submission to the word of God, awe in response to Christ, and idol smashing, getting rid of things that may be on the throne of your heart in place of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does this require? If we're going to teach others these things, the importance of coming under God's word, the importance of treasuring Jesus supremely, and the importance of putting nothing else in place of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does this require if we're going to do this? Time. Time. Bible study, accountability, praying with other believers, all of this requires time. David further unpacks what actively fearing the Lord looks like in verses 13 and 14. He says, keep your tongue from evil in your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Those who fear the Lord live lives that honor Him 
and teach others to do the same. <clears throat> right now, who are you investing in spiritually? Who are you discipling and or being discipled by? Discipleship involves more than just casually meeting up, but instruction in the Word, accountability, prayer, even correction. <laughs> that's discipleship, amen? And that's one of the ways we show gratitude to the Lord is by discipling others, teaching others, spending time with others in the Word, in prayer, in accountability, even correcting them with the Scriptures. We who have been rescued have the immense privilege and responsibility of helping others to follow Jesus through teaching, accountability, correction, through discipleship. This is gospel gratitude in action. I love Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. What we see in Psalm 34 is that the rescued give individual praise and call for corporate praise. They give individual thanks and call for corporate thanks. So again, not only does David personally praise the Lord, but he calls others to do the same. He invites others to join in. That's the movement in Psalm 34, from personal praise or personal thanksgiving to corporate praise and corporate thanksgiving. Verse 1, listen. I, David says, will bless the Lord at all times. Verse 3, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Join me. Let's thank him together. Church, let's help one another direct our focus on Christ, his beautiful character, and his gracious saving work. What we enjoy immensely, don't we want others to enjoy immensely? It's like the child who says, Mom, look what I found. It's a beautiful flower. Or last night, Clark and I were hunting, and man, did you guys see the sunset last night? It was unbelievable. And Clark saw it first. We're, we're walking out of the woods. He goes, Dad, look at that. He wanted me to enjoy it. He was enjoying it. He wanted me to enjoy it. He gave thanks for it. He wanted me to give thanks for it. That's gratitude in action. We give thanks, and we want others to give thanks. Here's the practice step. Teach your children. Teach your children. Teach fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Teach unreached family and friends. How can you do this? Invite someone to do a one-on-one -on -one Bible study. Ask another believer if they'll meet with you regularly to open up God's Word and look at what Scripture says so that you two can follow Jesus together. Read a good Christian book together. Number four, the rescued are transformed to live differently. Again, one way we show our gratitude to God is by living differently. Amen? We don't live differently to earn God's favor. Christ did that for us. We live differently to show God that we're thankful for his saving work in our lives. Amen? The rescued are transformed to live differently. That's verses 5 and then 13 to 14. Those who look to him, verse 5, are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Verses 13 and 14, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. 
One scholar notes, what does this word radiant mean? Maybe husbands, you tell your wives, hey, you look so radiant today. Do that today. You're in point, I promise. And then give her flowers. All right. What does it mean that those who look to him are radiant? The Hebrew word here is nahar. It's found in Isaiah 60, verse 5. And this is cool. It describes a mother's face lighting up when she recovers her child that she thought lost. (gasps) One thinks of Moses' radiant face as a result of being in the powerful presence of the Lord. That's Exodus 34. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul uses this same image to describe the Christian who is being transformed more and more into the image of Christ. Kidner, one more time, he writes, Radiance is delight, but also glory, a transformation of the whole person. When we look to the Lord, trusting in him for rescue, we are transformed by the glory and majesty of God. Again, the good news of the gospel is not just forgiveness, but transformation. That's what's promised in the new covenant in Ezekiel 36, 25, 26, and 27. 25 talks about how God promises to cleanse us from all our uncleannesses, to wash us. That's forgiveness language. And then verse 26 and 27, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put a new spirit in you. I'm going to remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'm going to put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my law. The solution to the problem of sin, right, hard, rebellious hearts, is not just forgiveness, but transformation. A new heart, a new spirit in God's spirit, so that we can live differently. And we do that as our response of gratitude. What should mark the lives of those who have experienced God's rescue, his presence, those who have now aligned themselves with the Lord? Again, verses 13 and 14. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. David is teaching others what is true of him. Those who have aligned themselves with the Lord don't speak dishonestly. They turn from evil, and they now do what is right and pleasing to God. They are peacemakers and not troublemakers. Those who have aligned with the Lord live differently. They live a life of praise to God. Simply put, this is a life of obedience to the Word of God. This is how the rescued live. Again, we don't live this way begrudgingly, oh, do I have to, but rather joyfully, I get to, amen? It's our response of gratitude to God for all that he's done. And then number five, the rescued recount and trust the promises of God. And that's verses 15 to 22. The rescued recount and trust the promises of God. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. Listen to these truths that David speaks, he proclaims about God. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. If you want to grow in thanksgiving, if you want to grow in gratitude, spend time recounting God's truths. Spend time meditating on his character. Spend time reviewing who he is and what he's done, and you'll be thankful. Amen? 
And if you're not, something's wrong. We can talk about that. Verse 17. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. I know for many this is a favorite verse, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. Who knows that one? Isn't that a wonderful promise? Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Verse 22, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is such an important point. Again, who wants to grow in gratitude? Who desires for their life to be marked by regular Thanksgiving? Okay, half of us. Um, <laughs> I, I get it. That, that tryptophan from the turkey still having an effect. You're tired. David, in the last third of Psalm 34, this is intentional. Follow the flow. He spends a great deal of time recounting God's promises, God's character. Again, this psalm is all about thanksgiving. What will move us to give thanks when we remember who God is and what he's done? And we realize how foolish we've been, murmuring and complaining and living in, oh, woe is me, when in reality, if we know Jesus and we have access to his promises, we have every reason to give thanks. Amen? I want to answer two questions here. and I think I put this in your handout. How might we summarize these promises? This will be helpful. So verses 15 and 22, how might we summarize these promises? And number two, what do these promises teach us about God? So four things here. And I hope you'll take this with you. And I hope you'll begin to practice this. I hope as you read God's word, you'll say, wow, there is one of God's promises. And wow, that's what it teaches us about God's character. And wow, I have every reason to give thanks. Verses 15 and 17, here's the summary. The Lord hears okay, and responds to the cries of his people. Here's what this teaches us about God. God is compassionate. God is compassionate. Amen? He not only hears, but he hears and responds to the cries of his people. God is compassionate. The second thing is this, and it's found in verses 16 and 21. Those who oppose God will be judged. God is just. He will punish the evildoer. The wicked will not endure. Evil will not have the final say. Amen? That's good news. I hope you can rejoice in that. God is just. Number three, verse 18, the Lord is with his people. I know for many of you, and I even spoke to a woman this morning, a sister, the holiday was tough. Being away from family. But who's with us, no matter what? The Lord. What does that teach us? God is omnipresent. He's always present. And then finally, verses 19 and 22, the Lord delivers and vindicates his people. Christ is the prototype for the believer. Do you realize that? Was Christ opposed? Was he put down? Was he abused? Was he lied about? Was he killed? Was he raised? Was he vindicated? Was he glorified? What's true of him is true for us as well. 
Are we opposed? Are we put down? Will we suffer? Will we die? Will we be raised? Amen. Amen. Here's the the point. God is gracious and faithful to save. Verses 19 and 22, the Lord delivers and vindicates his people. God is gracious and faithful to save. Here's the practice step, and I don't feel like I even need to say it, but I'm going to spend time recounting the promises of God and teasing out what they teach us about God's character. I just did that for us. And then respond by giving him thanks for his wonderful character. God, from this promise, I learned that you are faithful. God, from this promise, I learned that you are good. God, from this promise, I learned that you're all powerful. And then stop and give him thanks. Give him praise. I I thought this is just a cool little nugget. Listen to how God's people are described in Psalm 34. Those who have aligned with the Lord. In verse 2, they're described as the humble. In verse 7, those who fear him. In verse 9, his saints. In verse 10, those who seek the Lord. In verse 11, O children. In verse 15, the righteous. In verse 18, the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit, which means the humbled. In verse 22, his servants and those who take refuge in him. This is who we are in the Lord. Amen? May this psalm inform and transform the way we see ourselves, our identity, our self-worth. A final question, and then we'll pray. How does Psalm 34 point to Christ? How does Psalm 34 point to the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ? Well, again, those who are thankful teach others. Who is the great teacher par excellence? Who instructs us every day in the word? In Jesus, number one, the teacher par excellence has come. That's verses 11 to 14. Jesus is the greater David. Jesus is the greater Moses. And the Father in Luke 9 instructs us to listen to him, namely Jesus. Number two, and this is really good. Those who look to Jesus, according to Paul, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, are transformed to live differently. Where do we go to behold Christ? We go to the Word. Those who look to Christ are transformed to live differently. That's verses 5, 13, and 14. Next, Jesus is the righteous sufferer vindicated by the Father. Like David, Jesus would suffer. And like David, Jesus too would be vindicated. He would die, yes, but three days later he would would rise. And then lastly, those who call out in faith to Christ for forgiveness will be saved. That's verses 4 and 6. Those who call out to faith in Christ, trusting in Christ, believing in Christ, will be saved. Let's summarize our points. Again, the rescued are truly thankful, and the truly thankful give evidence of their gratitude, right? I mean, if you're saved, it should be evident in the way you live your life. You practice gospel gratitude. Those who are truly thankful, number one, praise and proclaim the Lord. That's what the thankful do. What do we do? We, we praise and proclaim the Lord. If you're not doing that, you're probably not thankful. I'm being honest. Number two, those who are thankful are satisfied in the Lord. And they continue to go to the Lord to be satisfied. 
Number three, those who are thankful teach others. Because we want others to be thankful. We want others to know what we know and have what we have. Amen? Number four, man, this is really important. And I think we all need to hear it. Those who are thankful live differently. Right? We live differently. How do we show our gratitude? By living differently. How do we live differently? By the Spirit. By the Spirit. Amen? Do we live differently to earn God's favor? No. We live differently to show our gratitude to our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Number five, those who are truly thankful recount, regularly review and think upon and trust the promises of God. Did that make sense what I said? You you read God's word, you read his promises, you tease out his character revealed in those promises, and then what do you do? You give thanks. This is what God's word says. This is what it teaches me about God. And in response, we give thanks. And that should be the regular practice of the follower of Jesus. But it's not going to happen if you're not here and you're not here. Amen? It's not going to happen if you're not here and you're not here. So we go here and we come here to recount and trust the promises of God and in response to give him thanks. And we do it on our own and we do it together. We of all people should be most thankful. Amen? We have every reason to be. Again, Donnie, thank you for the other day when I was having my head down and you stopped me from going in the girls' bathroom. That didn't really happen. But again, I would say thank you, Donnie. Like the young man headed to med school that Stuart, my cousin, rescued. Again, he would have bled out. He would have died. It was more than thank you. It was visiting Stuart at the firehouse, writing him a personal letter following up. That's big, right? We have been saved from eternal separation if we've trusted in Christ. How dare we not be thankful? Let us practice gratitude by praying and proclaiming the Lord, being satisfied in the Lord, teaching others, living differently, and recounting and trusting in the promises of God. What I've done on Wednesday nights with our Bible study is I've tried to demonstrate how to prayerfully apply each of the psalms that we go through. So because this is a rather large psalm, there's a lot of verses, I'm going to take one, two, three, four, five verses. I'm going to read a verse and then demonstrate how to prayerfully apply it in the hopes that you'll start doing that on your own. When I would disciple youth as a youth pastor, maybe a young person would get saved Often the question was, okay, what do I do now? I'm I'm a Christian. Well, you need to gather with the church, start reading your Bible, and praying. Well, I can can show up at church. I have a car or a parent that can take me. I I have a Bible now, but how do I pray? And that was always the one that kids struggle with. How do I pray? Maybe if you're a new Christian or old Christian, how do I pray? Well, we have a whole book that is focused on teaching God through how to pray, and it's called the Psalms. And so I think a good practice, if you want to grow in your prayer life, is spend more time reading the Psalms. So I want to demonstrate that for us. So I'm going to read a verse and then pray it, and then that'll be that. Verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Let's pray. Father, you are worthy of my forever praise, for you are eternal. 
Help me to praise you individually and corporately with your people. May my life bring you praise always. And then verse 6. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And, And here's how we could pray that. Lord, in my brokenness and desperation, I called out to you for mercy and forgiveness. You heard and you answered. In Christ, I am saved. I am forgiven. You have rescued me from the greatest plight, eternal separation from you due to my sin. Continue to lead me, not into temptation, and to deliver me from evil. Verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who take refuge in him. Here's how we can pray that. None can satisfy like you, O God. You provide true and lasting satisfaction for my soul. Help me to daily enjoy sweet fellowship with you through prayer and time in your word. May my hunger for you surpass my hunger for all other things. Use me to invite others to taste your goodness and take refuge in the finished work of Christ Jesus. Verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you as saints. For those who fear him have no lack. Here's the prayer. Father, there is none like you. In you I have all that I need. Help me to be on guard against all misplacement. Help me to keep you on the throne of my heart at all times, for you alone are worthy. I thank you that in you I have no lack. You are my everything and provide me with everything that I need. Verse 11. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Here's the prayer. Father, help me to faithfully teach your people your word. Give me the grace and the strength to teach others, my wife, my children, and your people, the great truths of your word. Use me to fix the eyes of your people on your unmatched glory and goodness. And then finally, verses 13 and 14. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And here's the final part of the prayer. Father, help me to daily turn from evil and to turn to you. May my words and actions be in keeping with your word. Help me to help others do the same, even when it's hard. And all God's people said, in the mighty name of Jesus, amen.